Can you hear it with your ears? Can you see it with your eyes? Can you feel it wiggling between your quivering thighs? That thing, that thing, that thing with James Once every millennium something will come along When you feel it you will know it cause it's coming on strong That thing, that thing, that Sit back, relax, deep breaths, no stress, let me come inside your mind, I promise you it won't take long, the change will happen soon, you will feel something so special growing deep within you, that thing, that thing, that Welcome to episode four of That Thing with James J. Asher II. That's me! Well, this is uh, the second time I'm recording this episode. It's Sunday. It's Sunday before noon right now. Let's see what time it is exactly so I know when to stop. It's 11.54, so I'm going to stop route one. But we'll see what happens. So it's... Six minutes before noon on a Sunday, and uh, I, I first recorded this episode for last night, around mm, 10 p.m., and it just didn't work out. I wasn't feeling up to it, kind of. I was just, my stomach was feeling, my digestion was feeling sluggish, and I just wasn't feeling that great. And so... I, I wanted to get the recording done of this episode so I could get it uploaded today because I upload like Sunday late afternoon, early evening. Uh, that's what I aim to do it. Really, I say it's like Monday, but I try to get it done on Sunday so I don't have to think about it during a, during a weekday. Um, well, in, in, in that vein and me wanting to just get it done, I decided to go ahead and record last night. I set up all the equipment and everything. And uh, as soon as I did, I said, you know what? I'm really not feeling this. So I broke the tripod down, put everything back where it belongs. And then I was like, but should I just go ahead and do it? Is this just like, is this what that one writer talks about with like resistance? I think I've got this guy. I think I've got one of his books. Um, let's see here. No, I'm not seeing it. It's a guy. He's a guy who wrote, like, The Art of War. I can't think of his name right now. But, or not The Art of War, but The War of Art. And he's all about resistances. And, you know, just things come up in your life and you view them as resistances. And that's why you don't get shit done that you want to get done or accomplish in your life. And, uh... I was like, is this one of those resistances last night? Me just feeling kind of down? Should I just go ahead and do it anyway? So I flipped a coin. I said, heads, don't record. Tails, do record. I flipped the coin. Caught. Land. 
heads, don't record. So I set the coin down and said, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to go ahead and record. So I recorded the first version, the first take of this episode, for 90 minutes last night. And it was pure drivel. I was not happy with it. Now, I wasn't sure if it was just me being um, hard on myself, because I happen to be quite hard on myself, but a lot of people are that way. Nothing special about it. Um, So I was like, am I just being hypercritical of myself here? Or is this objectively just a really weak episode? Because it was just sort of all over the place. The whole thing behind this is I want it to be just free-flowing, sort of, sort of stream of conscious. But the problem with stream of conscious is that if you have absolutely no structure at all, then it can quite easily become disinteresting and just confusing. And so it's important, even if you're doing stream of consciousness, like talking or writing or something, it's good to have just landmarks, just little bullet points that you can go refer to to help guide you through and as, as your thought, as the river of your thoughts winds endlessly into your ears and out of your mouth. And, uh, you know, my, my word river last night overfloweth. It went all over the place, man. It was crazy and not fun for anybody. Um, still water rested. The waters rose up. It flooded out a good half of the town. And then the waters receded, but it left a lot of still water on higher areas. And now, oh God, those fucking pools are just swimming with water moccasins. You can smell them and you can see them as you drive by. God help anyone who steps out near those puddles of still water with, 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 Mm, magic, ma- uh, what, what, what are the f- mosquitoes? Mosquitoes fucking flying around there, and it's just swarming with water moccasins who will bite you and poison the absolute fuck out of you. I hate snakes, man. I don't like snakes. And last night's episode, the first version of this episode, yielded a bunch of snakes, and I don't like it. And so I'm redoing it. I woke up this morning. I, I talked to my girlfriend when she got home from work around like 1 a.m. And I was like, I don't know how I feel about la- the episode I recorded last night. And she said, well, you know, just sleep on it and see how you feel in the morning. And I said, you know, that's a good idea. So I slept on it. And then I woke up this morning, had myself a cup of water, came to my senses and said, you know what? That episode was shit. I'm going to delete it delete it and record a second take. So welcome to episode four, take two. Now, hopefully you can tell there's a bit of a difference here. Other than the, uh, the landscape, other than the set, I'm recording this on my bed because I just feel like being comfy. I'm in the bedroom portion of my and my girlfriend's 312 square foot um, studio apartment and uh, well I kind of like it in here 
I'm sitting on the I'm just sitting on the bed. This is where I spend a lot of time at home. If I'm not working, if I'm working, I'm on the chaise lounge where the other three episodes were on that red thing. That was in my kitchen slash office slash lounge. Right now, I'm in the bedroom slash entertainment room slash um, living room, den, hangout den, den of sin, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, man. That's what happens in here. That's why I look so cool with this hat and with these shades. If you're not listening, or if you're not watching, if you are listening, hopefully if you're listening, you are listening. Hopefully if you're listening, you're not not listening. But if you're not watching and if you're only listening, I'm wearing some purple John Lennon sunglasses with um, like a brass, like a golden brass frame and arms, just wiring, purple lenses, and I'm wearing a, what I like to call an Irish cap. I'm not sure what the exact name for this kind of hat is, but it's what you see Irish people wear, and it's what you see um, cab drivers in New York City in the 1970s wearing. It's just got a little bill in the front, and they look like, it's like those Kangle hats that uh, the actor Samuel L. Jackson likes to wear a lot, where you can wear it sort of backwards, so it looks almost like a beret in the front. Not quite. It's not a big flop with the little nipple at the top kind of hat, but... You know, it's 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 got a bill, but it's also got like a the fabric flaps over the bill of the cap, and I call it an Irish cap. Now, this cap I've had this since I was 15 years old, and this cap has a lot of um, meaning. It's a very sentimental item because I got it in Ireland. Yes, Ireland, the island west and a little north of England. And um, I wonder, I wonder if Ireland is considered part of the, the British Isles. So the, what are the British Isles you've got? Of course, there's the island that contains England, Wales, and Scotland. And I'm sure that the, uh, the Isle of Wight is part of that collective. And I know that Northern Ireland belongs to Great Britain. However, the rest of Ireland does not. And I, I know that there was, there have always been a lot of troubles. They were called the Troubles, I believe, in the 70s. I'm sure there's been a lot more troubles. But the Troubles in Ireland are when the uh, imperialist English were trying to just take over and own all of Ireland, and the Irish people resisted. And in the 1970s, that resulted in a lot of pipe bombs and shooting and all sorts of bad things. My sister, who lives in Houston, has a neighbor who is from Northern Ireland. I don't remember her name, but she has a lovely accent. It's a lovely bouncing dancing lilt. It's a lovely bouncing dancing lilt. And the thing with the uh, Irish, especially the Northern Irish, with that very lilt, as opposed to the brogue. And Irish don't really troll their R's. That's more Scottish, as far as I understand. Um, but the uh, the lilting Northern Irish accents, they kind of go up in the end, like they're asking a question. 
which is kind of like how it is with Australians. It always sounds like they're asking a question. Would you like some Vegemite? Yeah, I'm going to go out and get some Vegemite. Yeah. It's kind of nice. It, it, it ends on a uptick. Boom, an uptick. So it kind of, you know, it kind of lifts you up. Whereas um, American dialects usually tend to go down at the end. At the end. See? See? Now, if it's a question, often it will go up. But if we're making a statement, a statement, it will go down. The statement will not go up in America. I wonder how, what, what, if that does anything to one's psychology. If they have more like a, ah, like a upswinging, bouncy kind of a, a, a way of speaking. As opposed to if they go down. Blah, 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 blah. Blah, 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 blah. It seems a lot, it seems a bit harsher and more depressing if to go down. Oh, going down. And that's final. It sounds very definite and commanding, which fits perfectly into our Puritan culture in America. It goes down. It's definite. I'm the boss. You do what I say. As opposed to, I'm the boss? Let's all work together. You want to... I'm the boss. You do what I say. It's, a, it's got a different feel to it, man. So I wonder how that affects people psychologically. Well, anyway, I got this, this cap in Ireland when I was 15 years old because I got to go to Ireland when I was 15 years old. I had an excellent, phenomenal, fantastic history teacher in high school named Mr. Thompson. And he taught the class like it was a college class. We didn't have pop quizzes or any shit like that. We had a midterm and a final. And these midterm and final tests were blue book tests. So he, he wouldn't even use the history textbook because he recognized that it was bullshit. It was just a bunch of you know fluffy stuff. It didn't really talk about anything that mattered and it skewed things in a way that was bullshit just the history textbooks were bullshit they're no good and he wanted to teach people he wanted people to genuinely learn he wanted to mold minds help minds learn how to mold teach you to learn how to think critically how to question things how to think for yourself how to research how to back up your research how to pose an argument how to back that argument up um, without falling into any logical fallacies. Back your argument up with facts, with data, um, and a true um, point of view. But, but don't, you know, don't just cherry-pick data to fit your point of view. Ultimately, be open to the idea that your point of view can change, because that is growth. That is learning is always learning something new and allowing the new knowledge to change you, to transform you. That's true education, is learning how to do these things. And so he would teach us out of like actual history books, not just textbooks, but history books, books written by historians. And we would talk about it in lecture and take notes and then have blue book tests where we would... Um, you know, answer essay questions and then have to write a 
uh, like a three-page essay um, uh, arguing. He, he would he would give us on the test like uh, three or four different topics to write about, and we would write about them and pose some kind of argument, I guess, or some kind of uh, understanding of the story. And, uh, well, Mr. Thompson would work with these uh, travel companies. Well, he wouldn't work with them, but he would uh, get things set up with these travel companies and would get students and parents from around my hometown and in the school to, uh, you know, he would invite them to join in because if, if, you know, like 12 people bought into this one trip with this travel company, which would have a tour guide and it would, the tour guide would take us around to all these places and teach us about the history of these, these locations that we would be visiting. If you get more people, you have to pay less than if you would have to pay by going alone. You know, you get like a bulk rate. So... My sister was very generous and kind enough to pay for me to go on two separate trips. I believe she was the one that paid for it. If it was my parents, thank you guys. I think it was my sister, though, who did it. So she paid for me to go for, on these trips and travel. And she traveled, too. She went to England once, and she was like, Dude, I, I love traveling now. And so, well, anyway... Uh, when I was 15, I got to go on this trip with uh, Mr. Thompson and a bunch of other of my classmates and the classmates' parents, and we went to first to Ireland. We flew out of Newark, New Jersey, and um, how long was that flight, man? It was like 12, 14 hours, something like that. It was very boring. I watched, I watched the bridge to Terabithia on the plane ride bawled my eyes out, man. It was so sad. And um, other movies. I watched other movies as well. So we flew across the Atlantic and landed in Dublin. And there, um, we got our shoes taken off and uh, washed. Was it in Dublin? I'm pretty sure we landed in Dublin. And it was either in Dublin or in London. I forget which one. But somewhere, they took our shoes and cleaned them off because mad cow disease was still... Uh, it was a big problem at this time. It was still in the early 2000s. I was, um, what, a sophomore if I was 15 years old? Something like that. So we went to Dublin, and we spent three days there. And I absolutely loved it. The city is so beautiful, and it has such rich history and culture, and the people there are so fucking nice. I'm sure there's assholes. There's assholes anywhere. But for the most part, just running into strangers, even at, I, I got lost at one point with a couple other friends because we went off to check out something else because we were allowed to roam free on this trip, which was awesome. So I got to explore Dublin on my own with some friends. Instead of having to stick to the schedule, like the scheduled set tour path, got to go exploring and experiencing the city and going to pubs. Um, and I, 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 I did have Guinness. And yes, maybe uh, I, I wasn't quite old enough, but I did have Guinness. And 
the Guinness in Ireland tastes infinitely better than the Guinness in America. I'm not sure exactly why. In America, it's just very... Uh, I, I guess in, in wine, they use the word jammy, where it just kind of coats and sticks to your tongue. Well, this was very jammy, very thick and chalky, the stuff in America. It's really chalky, it really coats, and it's got a bit of a bitter taste. None of that was a problem in Ireland. It was just smooth and creamy, but at the same time, crisp and refreshing. It was so good. And just the food there was awesome. I had sandwiches at the, these... At this pub, it made it. They made their own bread there. They made their own mustard. I had like some of the the spiciest mustard I'd ever had in my life. It was like uh, I mustard gassed my mouth with this shit, man. And I had a phenomenal sandwich and just a phenomenal time. I I don't even. It's been so long. I I don't remember everything, but I do remember images and uh, experiences and stuff. I can remember. Um, a lot of old men hanging out outside of a pub in the middle of the day smoking cigarettes, but they were clove cigarettes. So they had that certain smell, and I didn't know what cloves were at the time. So I was like, what kind of crazy, magical, incense cigarettes are they smoking in Ireland? This place truly is magic. And it is. It's so green. Everywhere. It's just so fucking green. It's the Emerald Isle for a reason so green and glowing and there's all sorts of um just ruins everywhere old castles and forts and such just old old ruins out in a field unguarded you can just stop anywhere on the road well not anywhere stop on the side of the road in the country walk out into a field see a bunch of sheep and go check out some ruins go climb on the ruins or whatnot they're all over ireland and, um, well, one of the places we went while we were in Ireland. So we started off in Dublin, and then we kind of worked our way down around sort of like the eastern side. Worked our way down to Cork, and that's where our last night was, but I'm not going to get to that just yet. I'll get, that, I'll get to Cork in a moment. So on our way down, we went through all these other little towns in Ireland, and, um, and saw ruins, and one of the places we stopped, and I'm pretty sure we we stayed there, was in, um, I forget if it's called Blarney, or if it's Cashel. Castle Cashel. I may be um, mixing up two separate places together. I'm not really sure. Let me, let me consult my handy-dandy internet here. Well, anyway, I'm pretty sure it was Castle Cashel where you can get the gift of gab and um, the Blarney Stone. Okay. Blarney Stone. Let me look this up. Blarney Stone. I'm going to Wikipedia to see if this is right. Okay. Blarney Castle. So then, okay, yeah, I am mixing up two separate places. There's Castle Cashel. Let me look that up. Castle Cashel, Ireland. Castle Cashel, Ireland. Is this the same thing? The Rock of Cashel. 
Now, um, let's see here. Yes, the Rock of Cashel. Okay. Yes, these are two separate places that I'm mixing up. But I did go to both of these places, Castle Cashel and Castle Blarney. Went to Castle Blarney, and there was a gift shop right outside of Castle Blarney, and that's where I got this Irish cap, 100% old Irish cap, and I got my dad a walking stick with a brass tip at the end. Because walking sticks are a thing in Ireland. And so are these caps. And uh, so I got this cap, and then I went up and kissed the Blarney Stone. There was a whole line of people. You go up a tower um, as part of the castle. You go up a tower, and it's got these winding staircases. And, and people in the medieval times were a lot smaller than the people now. A lot shorter. Um, like, five-something, like... 5'5 five five would be considered pretty fucking tall then, I suppose. If you find actual uh, suits of armor from the Middle Ages, you'll see, like, they're smaller. People were smaller back in the day for multiple reasons, nutrition, etc. And, um, well, anyway, you go up these stairs and these steps, and they're a little bit smaller steps because they were smaller people back then. And, and, uh, and they were so old that the steps had been worn out a good portion of them. So along the interior of the wall of that spiral staircase going up the tower of the castle, there was a rope nailed to the side of the wall going all the way up. And you had to hold on to the rope because at several points, the staircase was pretty much worn smooth. So you were just climbing up a smooth angle. So you had to hold on to that rope. Um, it wasn't totally extreme, but there was one part that was definitely extremely worn out. All the limestone. I'm pretty sure all those old castles and things are made of limestone. Maybe. Some kind of stone. Well, I got up there, and so you kind of go up. When you go into the castle, there's the open, sort of like, the court. And then you look up, and there's a you, you've got the walls around the perimeter of the court, and then there's a second level which overlooks the walls out at near the top of the walls. So you go up the spiral staircase up the tower, and you get to that sort of overlook walk around the top of the walls. And uh, at one point, right over the uh, the the main gate to Castle Blarney, there's a hole that looks down, and it's about a 30 foot or so drop straight down. And there's bars, there's like wrought iron bars at the bottom of this gap, so you don't fall through. But inside that gap, there is the Blarney Stone, which is a smooth stone. And let's see if Wikipedia says what this stone was made of. The Blarney Stone is a block of, of carboniferous limestone built into the battlements of Blarney Castle, Blarney, about 8 kilometers, or 5 miles, from Cork, Ireland. According to the legend, kissing the stone endows the kisser with the gift of gab, great eloquence or skill at flattery. The stone was set into a tower of the castle in 1446, 
The castle is a popular tourist site in Ireland, attracting visitors from all over the world to kiss the stone and tour the castle and its gardens. The word Blarney has come to mean clever, flattering, or coaxing talk. Irish politician John O'Connor Power defined it this way, quote, Blarney is something more than mere flattery. It is flattery sweetened by humor and flavored by wit, whose mix with Irish folk have many examples of it in their everyday experience, end quote. Uh, Letitia, I think that's Letitia Elizabeth Landon, described it, uh, its contemporary meaning in an article entitled Blarney Castle in 1832. So, so, I kissed the Blarney Stone, and it gave me the gift to gab, and that's why I'm such a great, charming, witty, clever, poetic, genius, humble person. I kissed, but I, I was that anyway, but I, I kissed the Blarney Stone, and that just, like, doubled what was already immeasurably amazing. And humble. <laughs> um, so, there's a hole in, in the, the walk that goes over the gate. There's a hole, and it drops straight down, except there's bars at the bottom of it. But you kind of have to lay on your back. There's a couple of big dudes who stand by this gap, and anyone that comes to kiss the Blarney Stone, they hold your legs. Because you have to get on your back and kind of arch your back arch your head in with your back to the to the ground arch backwards into this hole so then you're facing the blarney stone that's set in here and it's very much different than the rest of the 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 limestone that's that's the castle is made of it's really it's really smooth it almost seems like some kind of like river rock or or deeply packed magma rock of some type um, it's very smooth and much darker and cold to the kiss and you do kiss it and so I got there and these two big guys held on my legs while I arched backwards into the hole and I held on to the wrought iron bars for support and I just mwah, I kissed the stone and the two guys laughed and said ha 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 Michael Jackson kissed that last week and I went oh obviously this was before Michael Jackson died I'm pretty sure. Yeah, pretty sure. Well, kissed that. Got the gift of gab. And um, and then there was Castle Cashel. I, I forget if there was like some rock of St. Patrick or something. There, there was some weird like obelisk type rock structure or something um, that... It, like it, it was where Saint Patrick drove all the uh, the snakes and Satan out of Ireland, which is another reason I love Ireland so much is that there's no snakes there outside of say a zoo or some owner's house. They're not naturally occurring there. And a lot of people, you know, the 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 myth is that Saint Patrick drove them out because he was driving Satan out of the island. But. Um, Ge geographers think, scientists say that it was more probably the result of um, glacial migration. Just a bunch of ice ran them south 
to elk to other places, ran them off the island because it was just a block of ice running over the whole fucking thing. So, anyway, well, we went to this site where there's this sort of obelisk-type stone, and the thing is, if you can reach around it and touch both fingers, um, then it's something like the the myth is like you will have you will find your true love in in your life you will find true love and i also believe that it will have you will have good dental health strong teeth and healthy gums you'll get those two things if you can reach around and touch your fingers around this obelisk where saint patrick drove a staff into the ground and drove all the snakes out a a and a Welsh or English man who was kidnapped by pirates and ended up becoming a pirate king and prince of the fishes. He could speak to dolphins and he did ride um, uh, orcas. They, they, he communicated with orcas and dolphins and he rode on to them via Atlantis where he fucked all the honeys. He ended up in Ireland, where he landed and said, I am Irish now. I am of you people. And they said in their indigenous, the language Gaelic, which is yes you are you are our savior now here is a gilded walking stick with a brass tip i hand this to you so you may drive satan out of this fair island and saint patrick said yeah bitch we're all christians now and he drove it into the ground, and everyone was like, Oh my god, I was so stupid worshipping the fucking grass and the air and the sun. I'm so stupid. Oh, you know, I'm doing all these rituals. Oh, I'm so fucking stupid. How could I possibly believe in magic and witches? You know, uh, we don't have fucking medicine, but how could I think that my concoctions don't really work? Oh, no, I don't worship the fucking wolves. I don't worship the fucking owls anymore. I worship God. And that's how it happened. And that's why Ireland is holier than everyone. Now, going back to the Troubles in Ireland, uh, there was one place where there was a big shootout. I forget where we were, but there was a big shootout. I think maybe this person was like, I think it might have been a post office. But our tour guide showed us this place, and it had still had bullet holes, pockmarks riddled across the face of this building. Well, 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 well. We went on and on and on and on through Ireland. Our last night, we went to Cork, um, County Cork, the city of Cork. And um, me and some friends kind of, during our dinner time, we kind of skipped out across the street to go check out this porn shop that was across from this tavern that we were going to be hanging out in for the end of the night, for the end of the last night in Ireland. We skipped across the street, me and about four other people, and went into this sex shop and checked out like, all, you know, the uh, 
silicone anal fists and um, all the dildos and all the pornos. And that was the first time I ever heard or saw anything of two different types of porn categories. Pregnant porn and little people porn. But back then, they still called it midget porn. Because midget wasn't a bad word yet. Well, we went in there and we giggled at all the things. Then we got out Mr. Thompson sauce and he was just... Sauce went, mmm. Gave us the stern look. He didn't really fucking care. He's an easygoing guy. He's a really good guy. Um, he didn't really care. But he had to put on the... Uh, you know, the concerned uh, chaperone look. Mmm, you kids better get back and quit fooling around, okay? And so we stopped into this, this tavern that looked like my dream tavern, like my perfect... I, I, I would love to go to this place every day, this tavern. I don't remember the name of it, but it was there in Quark, and it looked like some straight-up pirate shit, man. It was all, the streets was all cobblestone, and the inside was all built of old stones, and they had real, functioning, working, they were using gas lanterns all around the wall. So you had this flame and this gas lantern, and that was the only light was coming from these gas lanterns. So it was this dim, living, ambient gaslight filling the place, like a wooden floor, river stones or whatever is the the it's all built of all that shit and you can tell this building this tavern is old it is a legit hold on i've got a okay sorry i i had to get a hair off the lens hopefully that hasn't been fucking up the camera lens thus far well anyway this tavern looked like something like what i imagined from like treasure island when I imagine pirates and shit going to, where I imagine fucking James Joyce going to, Oscar Wilde going to, hanging out, drinking absinthe, man, having a fucking poetic time. I would love to have, be able to go to a tavern like that every day. And I got, that was the place that I got drunk for the first time in my life because there was a promotional event happening there um so i i first ordered a guinness because everyone was ordering guinness and they didn't fucking care about your age they didn't care if you were i forget if it's 16 or 18 i think it might have been 16 was a drinking age um but they didn't fucking care <laughs> you know I, I i guess as long as you're not like a little fucking toddler mewling and puking as shakespeare would say uh we got drinks, and, and there was this rival brand, and I, Murphy's, I think it was Murphy's Stout, was doing a promotional thing, and they were, like, very open about their um, rivalry uh, toward uh, uh, Guinness. And so there was just trays and pint after pint after pint after pint of Murphy's Stout that everyone was getting. And I liked Murphy's, too, if... You know, Guinness, I said, I mentioned it was very creamy yet crisp and refreshing. Murphy's was still creamy, but even more kind of a crisp taste to it. Kind of like Pepsi is more crisp, has a bit of a more bite. 
than than Coca-Cola due to the peptic acid. Now, I don't know if Murphy's has peptic acid in it, but it definitely had more of a crispness, crisp bite to it than Guinness. They were both good, but we were getting just free. Like, there was these gorgeous women. Oh my God, the women of Ireland. I got to get to that in a second. Just these gorgeous women um, just carrying around trays full of pint after pint after pint of Murphy's. Free of charge. The entire fucking bar drank free of charge. The whole, the whole night. I'm sure some people went, if they didn't want that, they'd go to the bar and get their, you know, whiskey or fucking Tom Collins or whatever they want. But for the most part, everyone, because there was free fucking booze there, free Murphy's all night. Pint, pint, pint. They see her getting low. Finish that off, okay, hun? Drink it. Here's a fresh one. And uh, and and I, I remember drinking this stuff, and a band came in and started playing like some you know traditional like folk music, and everyone was singing in the bar. It was it was so like magical. It it, it seemed too cool. It seemed too amazing to be real. It seemed like fiction, like something you'd see in a fucking movie. But I was like, no, this is actually fucking happening. There is a band here playing and singing, and the entire bar is singing all these songs, all these folk songs, and they all know the words to it, and they were all stomping their feet and dancing around and stuff, and it was just heavenly, man. For me, I liked it, and um, I remember at one point I was like, started noticing that I had to pee a lot. And every time I got up, I felt kind of like heavy. Like I, I felt like my, my vision wasn't quite as broad anymore. I felt like my vision, my periphery had closed in a bit and I, and I get up and I felt kind of heavy and a little off center. And I was like, oh man, I feel weird. I have to pee a lot. And by about the fourth time I, I got up and peed, I was like, am I drunk? I think I might be a little drunk. So that was the first time I ever got drunk. Not bad. At a, at a an amazing magical tavern in Cork, Ireland. Well, the next morning we hopped onto a ferry that took us across to across, I think the Irish channel. Is that what it is over to Wales? And, um, on that ferry, I had the worst fucking fish and chips of my life. Excuse me. It was full of bones. The fish was just riddled with bones. There was more bones in it than there was fish meat. And the dishes were not clean at all. When I got it, it was sort of like a, just like a, a cafeteria line, like at a school. You just get there and that's all they got. It's like fish and chips. And, uh, and they give you these plates, these stack of supposedly clean plates. And they're just covered in fucking uh, oil. They're still fucking oily and smudgy and stuff. Maybe a little fleck of crumb on there as well. And even the tray that you put the plate on top of, that was covered in fucking grease. It was just disgusting. This stuff wasn't clean. But the ferry ride was fun and very foggy. You couldn't see. The water was utterly placid. And all around was just fog. You could only see maybe uh, 30 feet out, if that. And, um, so it was just you on the water, just gliding. 
and I like it. I've always, I've never had a problem with seasickness. I will get motion sickness if I'm reading in a car. If I'm like trying to read a book in a car, it just fucks with my equilibrium and I will puke straight up and down and out. So, but on water, I've never had any problem. I've got no problem. I can adapt. I can get my sea legs. I've never gotten motion sickness on the water. I love being on the water, man. I'd like to live on a boat. I'd like to be a pirate. That's why I even got this fucking tattoo. If you're listening, I've got a tattoo. It's like Sailor Jerry style. It's an anchor with uh, the 13, the number 13, on a ribbon going over the anchor. And it's right here on my left deltoid. Um, yeah, I got that on Friday, Friday the 13th in the year 2013, about 13 days after I got out of the can, which is a story I may get to today, I may not. Um, don't worry, nobody was hurt. Um, it was a... Uh, fucked up situation that I might have to devote an entire episode to, but uh, I did spend 26 hours in the pen, um, for some really stupid shit, um, I didn't try to rob anybody or anything, it, it involved vehicles and drunk people, and, uh, anyway, I got out and I was like, you know what, I've already been to fucking jail, why don't I just get that tattoo that I've always wanted? I didn't know what I wanted per se, but I knew that I was like, okay, I like nautical shit. I like pirates and shit like this. So, uh, and I, and I love Sailor Jerry's rum. Um, and, uh, so why not just get a fucking anchor like Popeye? Cause that would be cool, man. And so I, on Friday, the 13th of 2013, I, I went to this place called All Saints on 36th street in downtown Austin and um the motherfuckers they did not charge 13 dollars the only way i even heard about this place was like where i was working at the time a few of my co-workers had these tattoos with the number 13 on it and i was like what's up with that and they were like oh it's a friday the 13th tattoo and i said what the hell is that and they're like like you know every tattoo parlor gives out 13 dollar tattoos on friday the 13th as long as it's like you know from a certain selection of of designs they only charge 13 bucks and i was like you know one of the things that's been keeping me from getting a tattoo is the cost because i don't I, I don't have a lot of money and i don't see myself having a lot of money anytime soon so 13 dollars for a tattoo i'm gonna do that so i i, I went there one day when i wasn't have when i didn't have to work um, this is when I was living with Bennett, who is my guest in episode two. We were living together. Bennett accompanied me and me and my neighbor. Bennett didn't get a tattoo, but me and our neighbor, whose name escapes me at this moment, we went and got Friday the 13th tattoos at this place, at this tattoo parlor, All Saints on Dirty Sixth. And uh, we went there and the guy who was working was too fucking cool for you, man too fucking cool to be personable. He's just like, yeah, 
we weren't really going to do that, but we decided about 50 minutes ago. The owner called up and said we ought, we're, we have to do it anyway, the Friday the 13th tattoos. I think it's pretty fucking stupid, honestly. Um, but we have to do it now, so... But we charged $31 instead of 13 And I said, really? He said, hey man, this is blah, 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 blah. I'm too fucking cool for you, okay? And uh, so I said, whatever. I've got, I've got $31. Tipped him a little bit. Um, and I got this tattoo. Um, yeah, I selected it. They had like a wall of things. It was just like a catalog of Friday the 13th designs. My neighbor, he got a uh, like an eagle feather with the number 13 on it. Um, and then I got this anchor. And uh, really didn't hurt. It just was like a, kind of a buzzing, but it didn't hurt. It was a little bit sore. Sometimes when like there's extreme temperature, like air pressure changes, I can feel it. Like the skin will kind of raise up a little bit the scarring will raise up a little bit and it will ache a little bit not not in a painful way but it's just like why am i noticing this right now why am i feeling this kind of uh a bit slight painless throb in my tattoo and it's usually when there's a lot of air pressure change it's weird kind of like like uh um rocky and bullwinkle how bullwinkle can you know tell the weather with his bunion because people can feel air pressure changes in their bunions. Yeah, I feel mine in my tattoo. Anyway, going back to the ferry. Da, la, 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 la. We're on a ferry going across what I believe is called the Irish Channel. And it was all nothing, nothing, nothing fog for a long time. And it was so cool. I, I, that was like two of my favorite things. Being on a ship, being on the water, on the ocean and uh, being in the fog. I love the fog. I'm not going to get into all the reasons why, but I just love it. And we're going along and along and along. And then finally, I can see something peering through the fog. As we get closer and closer, we see these, um, these, these cliffs on the side, these green and black cliffs up from the, uh, rising up from the channel. And, uh, that was Wales. We landed at a dock in Wales, and we got off, and we got on a bus, and we stopped, um, I don't know, I'm not sure, I don't think we stopped in Aberystwyth, um, but we stopped somewhere in Wales that had a town, and it had a little unimpressive museum, and, um, and some ice cream. There was like an ice cream food truck outside of this museum in the parking lot, and they, it, it was like the, it was like whipped ice cream. It was so fucking tasty, man. So fucking tasty, man. It was really good. Um, not as good as the gelato I had in Italy. Yeah, I've been to Italy. I'll get to that in a minute. But anyway, we went through Wales. We just kind of stopped to look at this place and get some lunch. And then we kept going on and on and on until we got to England. Um, and we explored England and that was really cool. Um, and then London was awesome. Just the vibe. I mean, the architecture is absolutely, there's no other city like London, but just the vibe of it, the, the city energy of it felt a lot like Manhattan to me. Um, so 
Because I guess London's like the Manhattan of England. <laughs> what time are we at here? Holy shit, I've been rambling for almost an hour. Okay, so we spent we spent maybe almost a week in, in England. And that was cool. I got to see, um, you know, I got to see the crown jewels. I got to see the Magna Carta. Yes, the Magna Carta. And all sorts of other fun shit. I got to see royal guards, etc. And then I eventually went home. Oh yeah, the women in Ireland, hot. The women in Ireland were so freaking hot, man. They were like, 9 out of 10 were 10 out of 10s. Like, they were all gorgeous, beautiful models. Like, I don't know what the deal is, but the Irish, the majority of the Irish women were just supermodel hot, man. Hachi machi. The other day I found an old notebook that I kept while I was in Ireland and there was like a good several pages where I kept referring to how H-A-W-T hot all the Irish women were. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Anyway, um, so I came back and then the next time that I left the country was when I was 19 and it was the summer between, uh, it was after I'd finished freshman year of undergraduate in college. It was the summer before starting um, my sophomore year. So I was 19 and I went on a, I think it was a 12-day trip to Italy. Again, with Mr. Thompson and a bunch of other people that I had gone to school with and everything. Now, this one we didn't get to wander around quite as freely as we did on the trip um, to Ireland slash England slash through Wales. Um, mainly because there were more people in this trip and also some of the, the, the women that were chaperones on this trip were kind of um, uh, miserly Nazi bitches. And uh, I, I, I have... I, I have history with these women, so I, I I don't just say that. I'm not trying to, like, objectify those people. It's saying, like, oh, no, I know that individual's character, and that individual is a miserly cunt. Well, because of them, we didn't get to roam around quite so freely, but us young people, we fucking roamed anyway, um, especially we who were old enough to buy alcohol, who were 18 and up. Um, there was one night we like bought some absinthe. We kind of snuck out, bought some absinthe and then, uh, kind of gathered into a hotel and we smoked these, we smoked cigarettes. We bought clove cigarettes there too, for some reason. One, one dude bought a fucking, like a legit Cuban cigar. I puffed on it. I hate it. I don't like cigars. They taste like shit. Um, I smoked cigarettes for a long time though. And, and even clove cigarettes. When I was, like, super goth, I'd smoke a jar of blacks, man. Cloves, they smell so good, but they'll make your lungs literally bleed. You will cough blood if you smoke too many cloves. Well, um, anyway, yeah, that was the first night I ever had absinthe, and, and I, I do enjoy absinthe. It is definitely different than any kind of other liquor or liqueur. Yeah, it's really high in alcohol, but it's it's got for some reason it's got more of like a uh, feels more of a high than a drunk. Um, although there is definitely the drunk element to it, but you're also just feeling high from it. Well, 
anyway, we, we went to Italy and we kicked around Tuscany and, uh, I got to go to the Vatican. Um, I got to see the, um, the Swiss guard there with their funny yellow and blue clown outfits man their funny hats and their puffy pantaloons Woo! we are swiss you shall not enter <laughs> i love it and from what i understand those guys are total fucking badasses the swiss guards they dress funny but they do not want to get on their bad side you do not want to fuck with them so yeah rome italian food there was the best I'd ever had. I, of course, why wouldn't it be? It was in fucking Italy, man. Well, when I got back, because I'm a, I've always loved Italian food. When I got back to the States after the Italy trip, I was just so disillusioned with American Italian food. I was like, all of this sucks. I'm never going to be impressed with Italian food ever again. Until I moved to Austin, Texas. And until I met my neighbor, who I would like to have as a guest on the show, maybe I'll have him on for my next episode, my friend Max Gilliland. He's another sweetheart, and he's my neighbor and a good friend of mine. And he used to work at this restaurant over on South Congress, um, this restaurant called Enoteca Vespaio. No, it's, it's the same restaurant, but like... I think Enoteca is a little bit less pricey and Vespaio is like the full price kind of a thing, but it's the same building, just it's the same brand essentially, Enoteca Vespaio. And it's an Italian restaurant and the food is like really fucking good. It's legit shit. It's the stuff that it, it, it was the best thing I'd had since I was in Italy as far as Italian food is concerned. So if you're ever in Austin, Texas, and you're you're up for a fancy, a um, little pricey, it can be pricey dinner, um, but you want some really tasty Italian food, come to Enoteca Vespaio. They're not sponsoring me or anything. I just, I've had so many great meals there. Um, and I just happen to be friends and acquaintances with the right people that I've been cut enough deals there that I'm happy to fucking promote them, even though they're not a sponsor. Enotech of Espio is fucking great Italian food, if you want it. Um, so, the Italy trip, that was fun. It was the first place I ever had absinthe. Um, and uh, I went to Florence there. The the birthplace of the Renaissance. And I got to see David, the statue of David. And I was disappointed at first, but that was only because I wasn't looking at the actual statue of David. I was somewhere else. Um, it's some other museum. And I, I thought it was the actual David, but this statue was only like 20, 20 or 30 feet tall. Uh, not even that. It was more like probably 20 feet tall or so. And I was like, you know, from all the pictures and everything, I thought the statue of David was going to be a lot bigger than this. This is pretty fucking disappointing. Like, this is smaller than a goddamn telephone pole. So, I was disappointed at first. And then we went on to some other museum. I forget which one. Um, 
And this place, I, I turned a corner into this really high dome-roofed room, and I was like, I was greeted with the actual statue of David, which is massive. It is titanic, monolithic, gargantuan, huge, and just impeccable. The work that went into it, all of the fucking sculptures in Italy, man, just the fact that someone got a huge chunk of marble and chiseled and chiseled, just a block of this, and then chiseled and chiseled and chiseled away until they got this pristine, perfect fucking shape. How? And the fact that if you make like a single mistake, if you get a bad crack somewhere, you're, you, that thing's no use anymore. You got to start from scratch from a new block. How do they do that? It's amazing. It's phenomenal. It's mind-boggling that someone has such talent and work. I saw the Sistine Chapel and just all these places. Um, didn't go to, uh, no Venice. We didn't go to Venice. But the main places were Florence and Rome. And I remember standing on a corner at one place in Rome and I was standing next to Mr. Thompson and uh, he he pointed up we were outside of these like these like apartment buildings and all the buildings are old so they look amazing the architecture is beautiful but he pointed up to this old apartment building um, pretty nice looking place and he said uh, Asher I can see you living there someday. No, no, no. He said, Asher, come here. I said, hey. He said, look up there. And I looked up. He was like, what am I? I said, what am I looking for? He's like, do you see that window right there? And I said, yeah, that tall one? Yeah. I can see you living there someday. And I was like, really? He said, absolutely. I can see you living there someday. And well... We just went on with the day. And I was 19 when he told me that. And I have not left the country since that trip. And I'm 30 years old now. But when I was 19, I was thinking that, you know, by the time I was 30, I would be living in Rome, in that apartment, in that flat, um, at, with some kind of job. And now... I'm not living that life. I'm not living in Rome. Would I like to? Sure. I would love to live in any kind of like historic city, uh, exotic place, exotic to me, somewhere outside of America. But I don't. I don't live there right now. And I don't have any job that would allow me to do that. Maybe I should start making that a goal. I don't do that, but I, that wasn't really my goal because my goal became acting and writing. Um, and that didn't lead me all the way to Rome. So, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm here, I'm lamenting about the fact that I'm 30 and not living in Rome. But then at the same time, I haven't really been aiming for that anyway. Maybe I ought to. It's possible. I think anything's possible. I have a friend, Alex. He goes by Seymour now. Um, I still call him Alex. I'm sorry. He hasn't told me to stop, but whatever. 
He's living in New Zealand now. He didn't have a job or any shit lined up. He just went. And uh, from what I hear, he's having a pretty alright time. So, I'd really like to leave the country again sometime. Now, on to a different topic. I want to talk to you about Welsh people. I haven't met a whole lot of Welsh people, but of the Welsh people I've met, their demeanor has been pretty consistent to one another. And uh, I haven't met a whole lot of people from Connecticut, the state in the United States, Connecticut. I've met a handful of people from there too, and save but for one person that I've met from Connecticut, a lot of them remind me of the people that I have come across from Wales, the Welsh. Very bitter people. I'm sure if I, I'm sure there's lovely people in Connecticut, lovely people in Wales, but just from the, the handful of experiences I've had with people from Connecticut or from Wales, they were just dickheads, man. I had a professor who was such an asshole to me from Connecticut. And then when I first moved to Austin, I was staying at a hostel for two weeks. Well, I was trying to find a, a place to live and a couch to crash on. And uh, I met this, this fucking, I don't know, 50-year-old dude from Wales. Actually, he's probably in his, like, 40s. He was just so filled with hate. He'd gone completely bald and had an ugly old face. His hate... Uh, was reflected in his face and his body and his demeanor and he was just awful he would just say <laughs> my dirty cunt oh, fuck you bye bye fuck this fuck that and I said get that twat on my face cunt bye 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 calling everyone twat cunt bitch ass fucker all these mean things he was just a totally unpleasant nasty person and uh, Wales, I hope you're not all like that. I imagine that it, it, I, I, there's been a few other people from Wales that I've met and they all had this bitterness to them. And these people from Connecticut have a bitterness to them. I've talked to my mom about the bitterness of people from Connecticut. There's only one guy that I worked with um, at a place called Alamo Draft House. He was a projectionist. He was from Connecticut really nice guy but all the other people that i've met from connecticut have just been bitter assholes to me there's bitter and curt i'm not saying that all connecticutians or all welsh are assholes what i'm saying is the ones that i have met these specific individuals that i met who happen to be from those places happen to be assholes now, why are they, collectively, why am I meeting so many assholes that are from these specific areas? I'm not saying there's any causation, nor is there necessarily a correlation, but I am saying there is a correlation. <laughs> this isn't a fucking academic show. This is supposed to be a stupid, silly show, so, uh, whatever. Um... I, the one person I met from Connecticut was nice, and then the other people were from Connecticut. From Connecticut, were 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 uh, were bitter, and I've brought this up to my mom to say, is it just me, or are 
people from Connecticut, is it not uncommon for people from Connecticut to be really bitter? And she said, you know what? I used to work and know, work with and know a lot of people from Connecticut when we lived in New Jersey, when I was working in New Jersey. And I have run into a lot of bitter people who happen to be from Connecticut. More bitter Connecticutians than non-bitter Connecticutians. And I said, why is that? She was like, you know what? I bet it's because they're just, they're just mad that they don't live in New York. Boom! Mic drop. That's it. I'm not the one that said it. My mom said it. Connecticut people, you're bitter because you don't live in New York, so you're all salty about it. Just saying. Just saying. Now, let me step into another topic real quick. I, I just remembered that hopefully the sound on this episode sounds better than the sound on the previous three episodes. The reason being is that a very generous donor to the show um, donated to me a brand new Blue Yeti microphone. Yes, Blue Yeti, or is it Yeti Blue? A Blue Yeti microphone. You are listening to PRI, Public Radio International. So, thank you. I don't know if you want me to shout your name out, but you know who you are. And I have written you a letter telling you how I feel. Thank you so much. I One of the first things that popped into my mind when I received the box with this microphone in it, I was like, now I have to commit to this show because it would be really, really rude to receive a gift like this and to not put it to use and to not give back in some way by continuing to make more episodes. Um, so thank you so much. And also not just thank you for the microphone, which I love, but thank you also for this kind of gesture which forced me to commit to doing this because I want to commit to doing this, this show. The only way any things get done is if you commit to them. And that is the biggest challenge for any creative person is committing. To commit to doing something and to see it through and to put it out there. To do it, to do it to the end, to make sure it looks good, and then to put it out in the world, to let go of it, to let your baby go live a life of its own. That is the biggest challenge for any kind of creative person. And this microphone has upped the stakes for me. The stakes are higher because I don't want to be the ungrateful asshole that would just receive this and just not use it for the purpose that it was donated for. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, let me see. I've got some talking points. So like I said at the beginning of this episode, the last episode 
or the the first take of this episode, which I recorded last night, just sucked because I didn't have any kind of framework. It was stream of conscious, which is great, but I have to have some kind of framework. So for this episode, I did create a sort of framework, just some um, topics of conversation. So here they are. The trip to Ireland and England, I talked about that. The Blarney Stone, I talked about that. The trip to Italy, I talked about that. Absinthe, I talked about that. Welsh people and people from Connecticut, yes, I talked about that. Um, and then, how to spot a Russian bot. That's like pretty much unrelated to everything else in this episode, but it's dragging on. This has been about an hour or so, so. How to spot Russian bots. So, over the past handful of months, I have, uh, you know what? Hold on real quick. I need to go pee. I'll be right back, okay? And we're back. Ah, oh, it feels good to pee. Now, let me drink some water. I just dumped all my liquids. I should drink some water, eh? Mmm. Mmm. Russian bots. Let's talk about how to spot a Russian bot. I need to have some kind of segment. I need, this needs some kind of jingle. Let's create a jingle for this, shall we? Mm. How to spot a Russian bot. Over the past several months, I have noticed that I've been getting message and friend requests, mostly on Instagram because I'm more active there on, than on most social media. I am on Facebook, but mine's mostly private. I keep it to my friends, family, and loved ones, my Facebook. I do have an official Facebook page. Uh, you can find it by just searching at James J. Asher, which is my handle for all social media things. And it's also the name of my website is jamesjasher.com. If you want to visit that, I have a blog there. Lately, I've just been posting these episodes as they roll out, but I've got a few other just blog posts that I put on there. Um, perhaps when I'm done with my book, I will have more time and energy to put toward other blog posts. Well, anyway, over the past several months, I've been getting these message requests and and connection requests on Instagram from these random people. It's always like a picture of some really uh, busty, um, conventionally attractive female uh, with some kind of name like Hot Cots, Hot Cock Slut sixty nine sixty nine or something like that, and they'll send me a, a message request and I'll look at it and it will say like, Hey sweetie, winky, winky face, winky face, kissy kiss, heart, heart, heart. And, uh, and I'm like, who the fuck is this? And why are they messaging me? And why are they like acting so sweet to me? So I will click on the, the user's profile and it will take me to a, a private account that has like, zero posts i i'm pretty sure I don't, I don't know if you can tell with the locked with a private account how many posts there are but it's a private account and you can see followers and they've got a lot of following they're following a lot of people but they have vast vast vastly fewer followers those are bots if you go to account to an account that's new and it's following a bunch of people and doesn't have any followers it doesn't have any posts that is a fake account whether it's a, a just a bot or an actual person who's making a fake account, those are fake accounts. And I get, you know, 
friend requests from these things. I get views on my Instagram stories and videos from these things. And they're fake accounts. So if you, if you get an account, if you get a message from someone, it's just very vague, like a hey, or it's being overly familiar, or it's a picture of some kind of like model or something, and it's got some weird, like a gibberish name or a kind of like a pornographic kind of name. Um, and they have no posts and where the posts are just posts from other social media or ads, but there seems to be no like common message behind these ads. It's just regular shit that somebody found to create content. There's no through line, no singular vision in their content. And they have very few followers, but they're following a lot of people. Chances are high that that is a false account and or a bot. So look out for those. Um, there we go. That's how to spot a Russian bot. song for you I made so when I was 20 years old I broke my back I, I mentioned in the second episode with Bennett as my guest that um, I, I get back pain and I do get back pain um, and that's because when I was 20 years old I 
jumped off a cliff and crushed like 75% of my T8 vertebrae. It was either the T7 or T8. I think it was the T8 vertebrae, the thoracic eighth one. And uh, the way this happened was it was summertime in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. I was 20 years old. I was a, I think it was the summer either before or after my junior year in undergraduate. And uh, I had some friends. I'd hang out with my neighbors and stuff. We would just like day drink all the time and stuff, smoke a bunch of weed. And I was just trying to get a job. I I, I got a job at uh, um, Chili's that summer as a dishwasher. And I worked there for oh three or four days and the manager was awful such a bitch just did not care about the workers at all and she would bitch and whine that like i had no training they just threw me into the dish pit and all the cooks were all assholes to me it was just a terrible 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 service industry experience back of house in the dish pit well, I worked there for three days, and finally, it was just, everyone was such an asshole to me that I just said, you know what, fuck all of you, I quit. And and the manager, who was a constant bitch to me all the time, uh, when I told her I was quitting, she was like, ah, really? She couldn't even conceive that perhaps her behavior had driven me to not want to work with her anymore. She couldn't possibly conceive it. So I quit. And I had a little bit of time, and I was like, man, I gotta fucking... Like, the next day after I quit, um, my neighbors were like, hey, we're going we're going out to Lake Tenkiller um, tomorrow to go cliff diving. Do you want to come with? And I said, no way, man. I'm, like, scared of heights. I don't want to fucking cliff dive. Are you really scared of heights? And I'm like, yeah, like, if I'm... If I'm inside of a building, like at top of a skyscraper or something, or if there's like guardrails around and stuff, I'm fine. But if I'm on like open, if I'm up like on the side of a cliff, I, I, I will get nervous and I might get vertigo. I did get vertigo one time on a cliff in Devil's Den, Arkansas, which was a fun trip. Uh, different story though. Well, my buddies were like, hey, we're going cliff diving at this lake, beautiful lake just outside of Tahlequah. It's called Lake... 10 killer, like 10 killer. <laughs> or do you want to go fucking cliff diving off uh, into a lake that's called 10 killer, like kill 10 people? <sighs> Probably not. But the guys were like, hey, you can just come out and swim. All right, just come out and swim. And I said, fine. They were like, there's lower cliffs too, really small ones. You can just like a ledge you can just jump off of. And I said, fine, fine, fine. I will go with you guys. Okay. Plus, I was the only one with a car. And and at the time, my power steering was out for some weird reason. Like some, uh, on my, uh, the magic school bus, um, I, I, I like turned the gear when I shouldn't have one time. And it like snapped something that just killed the connection of the power steering. So the... I could steer, but it took a lot, I don't know how many pounds of force, but it took a lot of force to get the damn wheel to turn, the steering wheel. And, um, well, I was the only one with the car, so I'm like, pushing this fucking not power steering, having Chevy HHR out to Lake 10 Killer the next day. It's me and 
uh, three other guys, and we all go out there, and we're sober and everything, and then we get out there, and they've got a joint, they're like, hey, let's smoke a little bit of weed before we start swimming, and I was like, I'll have one hit, I'll have only one hit, and this was back before all the weed was like crazy strong, it was still dirt, dirt brick weed full of seeds and stems, mostly seeds and stems, actually, it was all the weight was, um, the seeds are hippie hand grenades. They explode in the pipe in your face. Bah! Anyway, I took one hit and I was like, okay, that's enough. So I wasn't really feeling anything. But the guy, we get there and, and there's like three cliffs at this place. And there's signs all around that say, do not jump off of the cliffs. Because that was a thing around Tahlequah and around Lake Tenkeller. People would go cliff diving out there into this lake. It's a very deep lake, very, very blue, beautiful area. Well, uh, excuse me. Um, well, where we stop, uh, there's three different cliffs. There's a 10-foot cliff, which is the one I wanted to do. I was like, that's like a diving board. I can do that. There's a 10-foot cliff, a 30-foot cliff, and an 80-foot cliff. Yes, an 80-foot cliff. So, and, and down below, luckily, these cliffs were pretty straight. So if you jumped out, there were no rocks below that you would fall onto. It was just deep water and the cliff kind of overhanging it a little bit. So there was no fear of running in, like diving into any rocks at the bottom, luckily. Um, well, I was like, okay, I'm going to do the 10-footer first and see how I feel. And my buddy, whose name I forget, uh, he said, hey, you're afraid of heights. And I said, yes. And he was like, conquer your fear. Face your fear. Just do the 80-foot one. Because we're all going to keep trying to, you know, peer pressure you into doing the 80-foot cliff. And I said, no. And he said, just like, you want to conquer your fear, right? And I said, yes. Oh, hell yeah, I want to conquer my fear. I'm alive. I'm a fucking man. I want to conquer my fear. I'm a human being. Uh, I want to face my fears and go through them. And be brave and strong after having gone through my fear and experienced that it didn't fucking kill me. That I got through unscathed. So yeah, fine, fine. I will take the 80-foot cliff. But you're going to have to go first. So I made the dude go first. And there's two other guys behind me. And uh, homeboy jumps, does like a pencil, foot first pencil dive into the water. No problem. He's like, and see, it's fine. It's no problem. So I said, okay, fine, fuck it. And I, I get back and it's, it overhangs a little bit um, over the, the rest of the cliff. It juts out. So I backed up and I got a running jump because I was really afraid of like hitting any of the, the wall of the cliff or any rocks that might potentially be down there. So I got a running jump, and I went huffed and puffed, and I kicked, jumped way as far as I could off the edge of that, that jutting cliff. And when I, as I was going down, I, I tried to do the pencil thing, but because I had got such force in my kicking jump, my feet went out in front of me. 
So I hit the water not at a 90 degree angle, not straight down, but I hit it at a more of a diagonal, like a 45. It was like I was like sitting in a lawn chair with my legs out straight in front of me. I was at an angle and I'm lucky that the water didn't shoot straight up my ass and give me an enema. I just hit the water like flat surface area. I hit all of the wind went out of my body completely. I resurfaced and <gasps> that was the most I could breathe. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't breathe any more than that. And it, and I had an intense pain in the middle of my ribs on the left side of my front ribs. And I thought I had maybe cracked a rib or something or maybe had a heart attack midair because there was just pain right where my heart was. And uh, I couldn't figure it out. And my entire body was just throbbing and stiff with this excruciating pain. And um, I was like, I don't feel right. And my dude, my friend was like, you didn't land right, man. Are you okay? Did you have a heart attack? I was like, no, I th I'm pretty sure I, I feel like I cracked a rib. I need to get out of the water. So I, I waited. I doggy paddled out of the water. I climbed up the side of the cliff in excruciating pain, just climbed up, and then I just sat there at the top uh, on some rocks, and I watched my friends go cliff diving for the next 30 minutes because he came up and he was like, are you all right? And I was like, uh, I'm in a lot of pain. I think I might have cracked a rib or something. And he, and he tried to get me to jump in the water again. He was like, dude, just jump in there again. I bet it'll be fine. It'll probably fix whatever what happened. And I was like, no, fuck that, no. And so they continued jumping for like 20 or 30 minutes. And finally I was like, guys, I really don't feel good. I think something fucked up happened. And I could barely move. My, my entire body was just like, my entire torso was just stiff. My neck was super stiff. And um, we went and um, we got in the car. I had to drive again without the fucking power steering. So my entire body is in excruciating pain. And I'm having to really force that steering wheel to get us moving anywhere. And we stop at one of the dudes, one of our party's mom's house for some sandwiches for lunch. And I'm just like not feeling well at all in any way, shape or form. And I tell my buddy who is the, the ringleader of this whole event, I was like, uh, my back feels really fucking stiff. Can you pop it? So he did the thing where I like cross my arms over my chest and he hugs from the other side and lifts me up and goes pop, you know, and my back went pop. And, uh, and I was like, he said, did that help? I was like, it relieved some pressure, but I'm still in a lot of pain. So I got back to my apartment and, uh, my neighbors go back to their place and they're really worried because I'm still in a lot of pain and uh, they give me a joint and they're like, smoke this and maybe you won't hurt so bad anymore. So I smoked the whole joint to myself and I was still in a lot of pain. So then I went back up to my apartment and my roommate was there um, and so was his girlfriend. We were all in the theater company, in the theater department together. And, um, I told them that I, what happened, I told them the story and I was in a lot of pain and the girlfriend was like, Hey, I've got some muscle relaxers. Take, take a couple of these and see if it helps or anything. 
So I took a couple muscle relaxers and I just went to bed and went to sleep. The next morning, I wake up with the sun shining through the window, brightening my eyes. I wake up and the pain is even worse than before. I'm paralyzed. I cannot fucking move. For 10 minutes, I'm trying to move and I just can't. And I'm in a lot of pain. Words cannot describe it. The the pain. Um, and so, I after 10 minutes, I managed to kind of like sit up and scooch uh, out of my bed. And uh, I'm in worse pain than before. And so I walk out of my bedroom and I, I knock on my roommate's bedroom door and he doesn't answer. So I knock again in a couple of minutes. He cracks the door open. He's obviously like still asleep and he's like, oh, what? And I said, I think something's really fucking wrong and I need you to take me to the emergency room. I think I need to go to the hospital. And he said, give me 16 minutes and shuts the door right in my face. And, um, <laughs> and so I, 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 I go and I'm like hungry. So I get a pop tart and I can't even bring myself to put it in the, uh, into a toaster because just moving, just existing, just breathing is causing excruciating pain through every fiber of my being. And I, I take a couple bites of the pop tart and I'm like, this makes me feel like I want to throw up. So I called my mom. And I told her what happened. And she said, you fucking idiot. Go to the emergency room. Get off the phone. We're coming up there. And so she shut the phone on me. And, and I tried knocking again on my roommate's door. And he didn't answer. And then I got really pissed off. And I pounded on the door. And he opened it looking confused. And I said, take me to the fucking emergency room right now. And that woke him up because he was like, okay. <laughs> Got in his truck. He drove me to the emergency room. Um, and they asked me if I'd had any breakfast or anything. I was like, not really. And they said, well, we're giving you some painkillers and you can't have it on, a, on an empty stomach. So they gave me some cereal and a couple lore tabs. And uh, I watched like the entirety of Fargo. It was like replaying on some cable channel. And I just laid there stoned out of my gourd. I, I, I didn't notice the pain so much anymore because I was just fucking stoned on painkillers. Watching Fargo and time just like, it felt like it was just a couple minutes. The entire movie from beginning to end with commercial breaks just felt like nothing. Um, and then eventually a doctor came in and they took x-rays of me and my parents showed up and, uh, and I just was not feeling great at all. And the doctor came in and he had the x-ray pictures and before he even showed it to me, he said, first thing, um, you are very lucky. You must have some guardian angels or something that really is looking out for you because you've got a broken back. If you had broken it any lower, you would be completely paralyzed. If you'd broken your back any higher, you would be dead. If, and, and it's a miracle that none of the bone shards have gone into your spinal column. 
you're lucky to be moving at all. And I was like, what? He said, you got a 75% compression fracture on your T8 vertebrae. And he showed me the picture. And sure enough, my spine was no longer straight. It was quick. I now got some scoliosis that I have to fucking live with my entire life. They put me in a back brace for six months, which um, the way it was, it feel like it only exaggerated the scoliosis in my back the way it all healed up and everything. Um, constant pain. They gave me just... I was on a prescription of, uh, like, Lortab painkillers um, and Flexeril muscle relaxers for, like, that six months in the back brace. Um, and... I It was just sucked. I was in so much pain. Um... Plus, there's no way that you don't get addicted to painkillers like that when you have to have them. Literally. The pain is so bad, you fucking want to kill yourself. Um, and they give you this prescription for this one thing that nothing else seems to be helping. You know? So, I did. I, I formed a... Uh, a habit and uh, and I feel weird telling you about it I feel like I'm gonna get judged or be in trouble for it but it, it happened it's real um, and it's because I broke my back because yeah I went cliff diving and um, I have not had surgery on my spine I've gone to a lot of different specialists and stuff um, and none of them want to do any kind of surgery on me. So I live with this. That's mostly just like the the bone itself doesn't really hurt. It's just the the compensation of my muscles because of the deformity of my spine. Because just the pressure's all wrong. It's all off all the time. And um, so I did a lot of different types of physical therapy and... A lot of it didn't do much help for me at all. I've done like weight training kind of stuff, every kind of exercise. The only thing that I have found that I, I started doing when I was 21 was yoga. Running is one. Running is just good to get the blood flowing, get the circulation happening. Good for your mood. If you're thinking too much, go for a run. If you're feeling down, go for a run. Get that blood pumping. Get those lungs working. Get some fresh air. Get some circulation happening in your body. Um, and yoga has saved my life so much. It has straightened out my spine substantially uh, compared to what it was before with just the back brace and the painkillers and the uh, average physical therapy. Um, I've even done two different types. Uh, I've, I've done like pressure point therapy, I've done um, acupuncture, um, and those things help with the uh, the inflammation of my tissues and stuff, but uh, it still hurts. The, the thing that helps me is yoga, because it stretches me out, it straightens me out, it strengthens me, and it gives me balance. And that physical balance translates to mental balance and emotional balance. It just, uh, you know, your mind and body are intrinsically linked together. So, um, 
and it's easier to work your body. It's, it's easier to find balance through your body than through your mind. Because you can't, like there's a, um, there's an AA saying where you can't think yourself into right action, but you can act your way into right thinking. So what that means is you can't think your way into thinking right, but you can start doing things and developing habits that um, end up ha resulting in um, better ways of thinking, more balanced, um, less self-loathing or anxious ways of thinking. So yoga has really, yoga and meditation. Meditation has been a huge thing for me as well. And it helps with my back also, just sitting still and learning how to just let go of all these, you, you, just by sitting and just being, uh, you start to notice all of these little micro tensions in your body and you release it and you quit trying to force everything. You let your body go and if you're able to just let go and let the blood flow and the ear and the air come in and out of you and just be quit trying to force it and just let the muscles go stack the uh the bones up in alignment and let the muscle tension go your body will naturally form itself in the way it needs to be and that helps me strengthen my back as well um yeah so Boy, I, I sure divulged some pretty sensitive stuff. I even wrote a song. So while, while I'm divulging some sensitive stuff about myself, um, I'd like to share a song with you uh, that I wrote about the time where uh, I was having problems with um, painkillers. I'll, I'll do it after I have a drink of water. Mm. Maybe I'll finish the episode off with this song. I'm just making sure I've got the chords right. <laughs> okay, here we go. It's a Debbie Downer song. I'm sorry. This stuff just comes out of me. It's like, it's therapy for me. So I don't, I don't know why I'm getting aggressive and defensive. Like, I, I know why, because I'm nervous and I'm afraid I'm going to be judged and, you know, guilt tripped by certain people that I don't want to be judged and guilt tripped by. So here's the song.
Down the street I meet some friends We wave goodbye, we're feeling high as kites or satellites I think I'm on the nod again So I throw back some coffee Hoping maybe this will move me Because I haven't chat in two whole days And I know that ain't good I'm a poet, not a junkie, don't you know it? I wrote this song myself Smoking cigarettes beside an open window I'm feeling well, well, well Psychic waves enter my mind The universe is speaking Whispering its secrets Reassuring me that all is fine I'm still getting anxious because I know that rent is coming soon And I've hardly got a sense of my name Oh, what can I do? Well, fuck you, I don't want a job, it's just a game I don't want to play But the ones who run the scam don't want to hear it So I must pay Cut a song out, maybe I didn't. I don't know. Anyway, <clears throat> thanks for watching. I'm gonna try to get a guest in for my next episode. Um, because I want another guest. <laughs> There's only so much you can talk about on your own to a camera and to a microphone. So, anyway, thank you for checking out the show. Um, I love you all very much. And uh, if you want to find me on social media, again, you can find me on mostly on Twitter and Instagram, at James J. Asher. You can visit my website, jamesjasher.com. And if you want to um, donate to this show so I can continue to create newer, more, and better content um, and get a good meal as well, um, you can donate to me through my Patreon, which is at www.patreon.com slash thatthingwithjames. Patreon.com slash thatthingwithjames. All one word. Um, I should have links in my descriptions in, in places. Like if this is on YouTube, there'll be description below. Anyway, 
Thank you again for watching. I hope you have a lovely week. Mwah! Bye.